Good day, folks. This is the Three Sources of Light podcast from Carlsbad Caverns National Park. I am James Gunn, joined today by Michael Nauman, one of my fellow park guides and a co-worker here at Carlsbad Caverns. And he's going to talk to us today about bats. But before we get into that, Michael, why don't you introduce yourself to us a little bit? Thanks for inviting me to participate, James. I have a confession to make. I love working for the National Park Service. I love being outdoors. And more importantly, I love educating those that want to learn. And I've done this since 2016, and over the years, I've worked at many parks, from parks out east to park west. I've traveled throughout the country, and as fate would have it, I would come back to a park that I had visited before. I have visited Carlsbad Caverns National Park over a decade ago with my dad. Very nice. I didn't know you'd been here that long ago. What do you remember from that trip? Well, I remember a lot of things, but in regards to the park itself, I remember the big room. I remember the elevator. I remember being cold, stepping out without a jacket. I remember going on a King's Palace tour and just wondering how Jim White managed to get into the King's Palace area. And of course, the solid blackness that I experienced on the tour when they turned out the lights. Did you experience the bats while you were here? Afraid not. My dad and I, by that time, were back at our campground at Guadalupe Mountains National Park. Oh, I see. So you abandoned us before the main event. I didn't anticipate even stopping here. When I planned this vacation, I had this huge grand aspiration. We had about a week and a half, two tops. We'd go all the way to Yellowstone, Grand Tetons. But the one thing I didn't plan for was just how big Texas was. I mean... I'm a Texan. I love Texas. I mean, maybe it's subjective or not, but uh, Texas is the greatest state in the union, but I just didn't fathom how long it would take to drive through Texas. Half the day, max, just not the full day. Uh, I think that's a pretty familiar story for any park ranger who's worked in the service for any length of time is the big grand trip that we maybe miscalculate a little bit of time on. Well then, Michael, if you didn't get to see the bats when you first came here as a visitor, what was your first experience with bats at Carlsbad? My first experience with the bats was as the bat flight road. When we give the program, there's the person who is actually giving the program, and then there's the person who's in back, who's answering questions any visitors might have, giving the rules to those who come late, and ensuring the visitors are following the rules. When the bats come out, I have a front row seat to see them. The amphitheater is strategically placed to be like right near the entrance. And so when they come out, they come out in big numbers and you can see them. And it was amazing for me because they're not that big. From wingtip to wingtip, they're only 11 inches and they weigh 13 grams. And yet because they're so small, this cave can fit a large number of bats in it. Around half a million in a good year we can have within this cave. While you were watching this big giant cloud of bats fly out, what was it that you were thinking about? I was thinking about what I'd have to say for my program. (laughs) But I was remembering all the facts that I knew about our bats. About how much they ate, around a ton and a half each night. But facts alone don't make a program. And it's not very interesting. And so I had to think about the bats. And... When I began to think about our bats, I began to think about Halloween because, well, bats are an intrinsic part of Halloween. When you think of Halloween, we have ghosts, we have vampires, we have bats. And there's a bit of mystery, there's a bit of fear. And that's what I sort of got hung up on, fear. Why do we fear the bats? 
So now I find this really interesting, Michael, because when you go to a typical park ranger program about an animal, you hear things about how incredible the animal is. Look at how big the elk's rack is. Look how amazing the badger in the park is. But you're taking this from a completely different perspective. So why is it that you chose fear as your approach to bats? It all goes down the rabbit hole that I descended. When I first started thinking of bats, I thought of Halloween. I thought of the mystery, the fear, and why. Why were bats feared? I immediately looked to vampires and then vampire bat. The famed or infamous, depending on your perspective, vampire bats of Central and South America. No vampire bats at Carlsbad, not to worry. The vampire bat of Central and South America is the only bat species actually called a vampire bat in the common tongue. And on the other species, the term vampire comes up in its scientific name, its Latin name. But the vampire bats of Central and South America are called vampire bats. So thinking about vampire bats immediately made me think of the world's most famous and infamous vampire, Dracula. Dracula was the creation of Bram Stoker, who in 1897 published the world's first horror novel, Dracula. Bram Stoker got the idea from his novel from Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler ruled Transylvania. That region, which is present-day Romania, has a cultural belief in Strigoi. Strigoi are undead vampires. But how would you know a Strigoi? Well, follow the chaos. There would be belief that you might be haunted by Strigoi if one of two things happened. First, after an individual has died, a rapid succession of more individuals have died in the same family. Or, after an individual has died, another person in the family becomes terribly ill. But that isn't confirmation. Suspicion. Confirmation comes from when the villagers disinter the individual who they believe is the Strigoi, and they look for signs of life, like blood around the mouth. Because knowledge of decomposition wasn't so advanced. So seeing this individual with blood around their mouth would be all the confirmation they need that this was indeed a Strigoi. And they have very clear procedures on how to deal with Strigoi. They carve out the heart from the chest cavity, they burn it to ashes, take the ashes, dump them in water, and make sure the ashes are completely dissolved. And then they have the individuals or individual who is being plagued by Strigoi drink the water. That is how a Strigoi is dealt with. So this is all very interesting, Michael, but what does any of it have to do with bats? It has to do with globalization. First contact with the New World came in 1492 with Christopher Columbus. And as the Spanish and Portuguese explorers delved deeper into Central and South America, they encountered the vampire bat. Having never before seen a bat species that subsisted on blood alone, it must have terrified them. Because if there was this creature that subsists on blood alone, what other creatures might exist? With the cultural diffusion, you have ideas that are now coming from the New World. And they're moving to the Old World, to Europe. And you begin to see ideas begin to shift. It takes time to reach. However, you begin to clearly see a shift in perspective about bats. Now they represent darkness and a bit of evil. Within the Bishop's Palace of Quimpy, France, there is a stained glass window that depicts humans and demons. The demons are tempting the humans 
The only sign that they are not human is that these giant bat wings attach them. And what's interesting to note is that this palace dates back to around 1507, well after Christopher Columbus made contact with the New World. So this is sort of the beginnings of diffusions. And then we have witchcraftery. Bats are beginning to be associated with witchcraftery as the centuries go by. A bat circles around a home. The woman inside must be a witch. We will drag her out the next morning and we will burn her as a witch. Well, that seems like a little bit of a strong response. Hopefully things like this aren't still happening today. Eh, thankfully we've left the witch burnings behind us. However, Strigoi are still being found. Three gentlemen, same family, suspected that one of their deceased relatives was a Strigoi. And so they followed proper procedures, and they believed that, yes, this individual was a Strigoi, and they promptly did what you do when you have found a Strigoi. The most immediate descendant of the individual who had just been desecrated reacted strongly to this. He wasn't happy. You can see that we're still doing these cultural practices of connecting bats with evil and negativity. But do they deserve this reputation? Are they these tiny little <laughs> demons we should run for our lives from? Oh no, James. They don't deserve the guano that we throw at them. Our bats and the bats around the world do so much for us. And what they do for us depends upon what they eat. Our bats are insect-eating bats. And... They spread out in a 10 to 25 mile square radius around the park and they support the local farmers in the area by eating all the insects that would devastate their crops. And in doing so, they protect our food sources. Throughout the country, all the insect eating bats save American farmers $4 billion a year. That is not an insignificant amount of money. That $4 billion without those bats would have to be reinvested into pesticide use. Tequila. If you're a fan of tequila, you are a fan of bats. And a key ingredient of tequila is agave. Agave plants depend upon bats for pollination and for seed dispersal. Without the bats, the agave plant's reproduction rate would drop to one three thousandth of a percent, which as a consequence would mean Tequila prices would increase. Moving to the tropical areas of the globe, in the event of a deforestation as a result of human causes or natural causes, bats are considered a keystone species. Both birds and bats reforest the land. However, birds will not fly over that newly cleared land, for it represents a security risk for them. They don't want to become prey, food for a bird of prey. And so they will stick to the trees that are surviving. But bats, they have no fear. They will go right over that newly cleared land. And as a result, they will drop their seeds onto that cleared area and the forest will grow again. And these are just a few of the things that bats do for us. So no, James, bats are not little demons. I guess in my mind, this asks us one more question then. We've seen how long bats have been connected to darkness and evil. We've seen how even when we understand the benefits they give to us, we don't always recognize them. Does this mean that bats are just doomed? Are they always going to be connected with darkness and evil? Or are there other views out there that we can approach them with? 
The same way that we connected them to darkness, we can also bring them back into the light. Earlier, I mentioned the transformation over time from Europeans seeing bats as miniature dragons, and then all of a sudden, we have Bram Stoker and Dracula. Well, that is proof enough that cultural views can change. Our views can change. And if our views can change, then they can change now. With the advent of globalization, we have more information at our fingertips than all the previous generations combined. And with that wealth of information, we can draw upon the cultural views from around the globe, both present and past. In ancient Babylon, bats were seen as the souls of dead people. The Chinese consider bats to be symbols of long life and happiness. And the ancient Mayans saw bats as symbols of initiation and rebirth. There is nothing about those cultures that links bats to darkness. And perhaps this is the biggest benefit bats can teach us. They can show us at times we know enough to fear, but not enough to dispel. Don't let fear control you. Expand your knowledge. Dispel it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you very much for coming and talking to us today about bats. Clearly a topic you have a lot of passion for. My pleasure, James. Thank you for inviting me. For those of you at home, if this episode has inspired you to learn a little bit more about bats or maybe try and find a bat outflight program, you are always welcome here at Carlsbad Caverns, where the bats are flying between the months of April and October. Alternatively, if that trip is not in the cards for you, take a look online. You might be surprised at just how close you can find a bat outflight to your home. Until next time, whether it be pushing new leads in your own mind or exploring a karst landscape close to home, happy caving. Hello, listeners, and thank you for listening to Three Sources of Light. This podcast is produced by the Interpretation and Education Division at Carlsbad Caverns National Park. Episodes are researched, developed, and hosted by park guides Anthony Mizuko and James Gunn. Today, you also heard the voice of Michael Nauman. All audio engineering, music, and sound effects is made in-house by park guide Gabe Montemayor. This episode was recorded in January of 2021. For more information about Carlsbad Caverns National Park, please visit our official National Park Service website at www.nps.gov forward slash cave. Thanks for listening.